Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic, overseeing our TOSIC Phase 1 and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined again by Dr. Brian Gassman, Medical and Surgical Director of Cleveland Clinic Cancer Center's Melanoma and High-Risk Skin Cancer Program. He previously joined us to discuss Merkel cell carcinoma, and that episode is still available for you to listen to. He's here today to talk to us about new cell therapies that may hold a key to treatment of advanced and rare skin cancers. So, welcome, Brian. Thank you, Dale. Appreciate it. So, maybe you can remind us again about your role here at Cleveland Clinic. Sure. Uh, my background has uh, been involved uh, initially in surgical uh, removal of high-risk cancers, uh, heavily focused on skin, but also uh, some sarcomas. You and I deal with those together, as well as head and neck cancer. Uh, I've had a long-standing uh, interest in research, uh, specifically around tumor immunology, uh, which has uh, dovetailed well with the many recent advancements in immune-based therapies, which are curing patients that were until recently incurable. Part of my role has transitioned into helping lead our clinical trials aspects to bring the newer therapies to our patients uh, that will hopefully eventually become standard of care so that we can continue to see advances, not just in treatment options, but treatment cures as well. I like it. So let's talk about some of those. Now, uh, there's a wide range of people who may be listening and maybe have some familiarity with immunotherapies, but we're going to be talking about cell therapies. So let's let's start off and what is a cell therapy? When you think of most therapies that we give to patients, these are off-the-shelf products, usually chemically made in a lab. They can be chemotherapies, which are basically toxic agents, and they can be immune therapies, for example, which either block immune signals that normally block immune signal. So a negative times a negative is a positive. That's one of the immune therapies. And the other type of immune therapy are direct boosters of our immune, immune therapies. Um, many of those are still emerging. They haven't been yet approved. Most of what we have right now uh, under the topic in standard care therapy of immune therapy are things that block something that blocks a signal and thus ultimately is a positive immune signal. Now, what difference from them in cellular therapies is that these secondarily affect your immune cells, which are cellular therapy inside of your body. And then we hope that those cells will then create an anti-tumor response and cure the patient. Well, the question is, can we get directly to the target? Instead of giving a therapy to affect the cells in your body to kill the tumor, can we take the cells and either take them out of the patient and give them back to the patient even better than they were, or give them other patient's cells to kill the tumor, and now you're, get, you're getting a little bit closer to the action, so to speak. And that's sort of the nuts and bolts, if you will, high-level view of what cellular therapy is. And I know we're going to get into some details in a moment. Yep. So let's go ahead and maybe jump into an example. One of the, the first examples we're going to talk about is tumor-infiltrating lymphocytes. Um, what exactly is a, is a tumor-infiltrating lymphocyte, and how are we using those for cancer therapies? So um, as a surgeon, this is very special to me because a surgeon who's still practicing in his 80s, uh, Steve Rosenberg at the NCI, National Cancer Institute, uh, realized, like many in the field, that our bodies have many types of immune cells, most of which have nothing to do with a cancer patient's 
cancer immunity, meaning there's a lot of immunology in a patient with cancer that has nothing to do with their cancer. So when we try to treat them, we have to deal with the fact there's a lot of extra stuff in the patient. And his question is, how could I get to the best part of that patient's immune system? And of course, it makes sense that that best part of their immune system might actually be in the tumor. It may not be working as well as we want, but it was in the tumor itself. So in the tumor, tumor infiltrating means that means it went in lymphocytes and the type of immune cells he was focusing on are mainly CD4 and CD8 type of immune cells, which can kill the tumor. And those are also called lymphocytes. So tumor infiltrating lymphocytes. And the idea is you cut out a piece of tumor, you then dissolve the tumor into its parts. Tumors have tumor, they have blood vessels and other cells, and they also have the choiciest, if you will, immune cells that are there on purpose to go after the tumor. It's just the tumor is more powerful. And then what happens is now that you've taken out the patient, let's say you get a million of those out. And not all of them are very effective, but some of them are. You then can take that million and expand them outside of the patient to billions. They also realize over time that when they just gave it back to the patient, because of all that extra immunology that's in the patient, it was sort of buggering up the system. So they would first lymphodeplete the patient, get rid of their immune system temporarily. There are ways of doing it for a short course, like we do for bone marrow transplant, and then pump them with their own cells now expanded thousands of times more. And since they're specific for the tumor, guess where all those cells rush to? They rush to the tumor. And at the time when they were doing it, they were taking patients who had mainly ineffectual multiple rounds of chemotherapy. So they were pretty sick. Their body has been riddled with the effects of chemotherapy. And still around one in five patients had major, major responses. In fact, there are patients today who are grandparents who are alive because of treatment done in the early 80s uh, because of Dr. Rosenberg. The other problem, though, it was a Herculean effort requiring millions upon millions of dollars per patient, and it really could not be recapitulated outside of our National Cancer Institute. What's happening more recently is uh, both academicians, but even more so in industry, people are coming up with ways to make it cheaper, simpler, faster, so that more patients can get exposed to these therapies. And moreover, we're combining them with the other immunotherapies to see better effects, and we're bringing these therapies to patients before they've seen multiple rounds of, for example, chemotherapies or even immunotherapies that were ineffectual. And ultimately, the hope is we're going to see even better benefits than we've been seeing for years. And now you can get it, well, the hope is at any local hospital, that's the ultimate goal. And so that's the basics of tilt therapy. But, you know, of course, once industry gets their fingers on it, what tilt therapy was will mutate, so to speak, into bigger, better, faster options for patients. So you mentioned, uh, you know, something a bit about response rates and 20%. Um, what would you consider with the newer approaches? Um, what kind of response rates are we seeing? We know that the we I mean we know that the chemotherapies and you're on fifth line therapy, you're not going to get a whole lot of, of benefit. What are we seeing with these? So melanoma, because it's one of those cancers that has a fair amount of immunology in the tumor. We, when you have a lot of immunology in the tumor, we call that a hot tumor. And when you have very little immunology, we call it a cold tumor or a desert tumor. A lot of those quote unquote desert tumors don't do very well with any immune-based therapy, and they're still relegated to chemotherapy. Unfortunately, many of those are also some of the most deadly cancers like pancreatic cancer and sarcoma. 
But amongst the hotter tumors like melanoma, uh, what we've seen, especially since we don't give much chemo anymore, is an even higher rate uh, of responses, um, pushing around 40%. And yet those are patients that have still failed at least two or three lines of therapies, most likely. And we expect as we introduce this therapy into earlier lines of treatment that these numbers will only go up. And, and usually if you get a response, they're usually pretty meaningful. It's not like you, oh, you get a couple months of life. These are much more likely to cure people type responses. So it's very exciting. And again, these are patients that are filling all the other good therapies we've already had. And, and, and unfortunately, these particular patients didn't work. And so that was, uh, that was another question I was going to kind of pose is about durability of response. So typically it's not very long with chemotherapy things like immuno, the immune checkpoint inhibitors, you know, a, there is a percentage of people who have very, very long responses, even cures, um, similar with these agents or um, along about the same lines of immunotherapies? Even more so. In fact, the patients that are quote-unquote cured get complete responses or at least, you know, complete response based on, let's say, a metabolic imaging type response. Um, they're usually, it's, I mean, they're more likely to die of a different cancer or a different problem than their, than this cancer. Uh, and we know that because if you go, you know, there are many patients who've had multi-decade, I mean, I think after a couple of decades, you can call that cured uh, uh, situations. And so, you know, the, the question is how many patients can we get there? Uh, not everybody gets a response are, are going to get that kind of meaningful response. But if you do get that kind of meaningful response, it is usually long lasting, if not permanent. We think you were talking about TIL therapies, and it sounds still a little on the cumbersome side to get at this point and how it's given. But um, tell me a little bit about side effects. Um, you know, everyone listening kind of has an impression of side effects of chemo. How, how is this different? Sure. One of the biggest concerns with uh, the therapy isn't the actual therapy. It's the run-in into the therapy. So we have to do what's called lymphodepletion, as I mentioned earlier. You've got to uh, essentially remove most of the immunology of that patient so they can, can't fight even a cold kind of immunology. They're getting rid of all those lymphocytes. And that happens temporarily over, depending on the protocol, five to seven days. And then during that sweet spot where they don't have much other immunology, we not only give them the TIL therapy, we also give them what's called interleukin-2. It's one of those signals that directly augments the immune system, but has a lot of side effects. And, and it's in that period of time where we can see uh, what's called cytokine sto storm and other type of very high uh, immunologic side effects that can hopefully not be deadly, but, but certainly make a patient very sick. And that limits who can get these therapies. Uh, it's similar, again, to bone marrow transplant situation. So there are patients, if you're older, uh, if your performance status is low, that we can't give to. The other issue, it's not so much a side effect as the amount of time to produce and manufacture the therapy. So imagine you're going to get the drug, but you can't get it for a couple of months. You got to go through surgery. You got to wait for the drug to be produced off-site. They have to do quality checks. And then you got to get everything set up so you can come in and get that lymphodepletion. And during that time, there's a risk that your tumor can get out of control. And again, you will not even be able to get it 
or even worse, unfortunately. So uh, in terms of long-term side effects from teletherapy, it's similar to immunotherapy, but it's less likely to cause auto general autoimmunity because, again, these immune cells are more specific for your tumor. But if they're going to cause autoimmunity, will be things that we see uh, in the tumor itself. So for example, melanoma, you have a lot of melanocytes. Melanocytes give you your pigmentation. So alopecia, loss of pigmentation is possible. But in terms of like the colitis, pneumonitis that we see with other agnostic immunotherapies, it's less so. It's really that early component where we see the major side effects and they can be significant. So we've we've talked about tumor infiltrating lymphocytes or TIL therapies. Uh, what about natural killer cells? What's the role sure. of natural killer cells? So... Uh, some of the therapies that were we call cellular therapies were born out of solid tumor oncology. So TIL therapy would be one of them because solid tumors have an inf- a place to infiltrate into, unlike liquid tumors. Others have been born out of what we call liquid tumors, and NK cells has been more along those lines. But the advantage of NK cells over TILs are is that because TILs are going after what's called uh, antigen which the way antigens are, they're proteins in our cells that are present on the outside of the cells in a way that not only tell the body about the cell they're attacking, but also where that cell came from. It's the same way the body knows if you transplanted a liver, that even though I recognize those proteins, but those aren't from my body, I better go attack that liver. That's why you need transplant medication. And so those are antigen-specific therapies. NK cells work differently. Their receptor engages a it does not require any antigen specificity like TILs do. And thus, you can literally create NK cells from a different patient and give them to a different patient. And thus, it's much more readily uh, available uh, for patients. There's not as much lead-in. You don't have to do lymphodepletion, uh, or, or if you do, it's less so. The problem is so far, at least in solid tumor, unlike liquid tumors, which I would call lymphomas and leukemias under that uh, umbrella. Uh, it hasn't been as effective, um, at least certainly what we've seen. Uh, and it may be because the target response is not as powerful when you're dealing with a protein that's not only a protein of interest that you want to go after, but a protein of interest that's from your own body. Um, but that's what NK cells are. And it, it could be just a challenge that we need to figure out how to uh, get more out of, meaning it's probably something there, there, but we haven't really unlocked the full promise of NK cells. But again, there's hope and rationale to use them, especially since you don't have to do all the things you have to do, like we just mentioned in TIL therapy. What about you? You mentioned certainly uh, using IL-2 with TIL therapy um, combinations you know, combining these sort of immune cellular therapies with traditional chemo or um, are there are there things that are currently ongoing that, that look particularly promising in terms of combinations? Yeah, well, one of them, for example, is uh, patients who um, either have or have not seen our best um, immunotherapy, uh, which is PD-1 or PDL one inhibition, uh, who went on to have TIL therapy. And then once the TIL therapy ends, because it's a event, not really a process, um, they then go on anti-PD-1 therapy. And although these are sort of smaller, earlier phase trials, the data is very encouraging. It looks better than TIL therapy 
alone. Now, it could be because these patients are being treated a little bit earlier in their disease course. They haven't failed as many therapies. But regardless, it does point to the idea that something like teletherapy may be pushing to early and earlier, even first line, eventually therapy. And then you can get then give them all the other therapies that are available to them now. Um, the big use of chemo, like, for example, lung cancer, is for that run-in, meaning I have to wait two months for my therapy. I don't want my patient to you know, God forbid, you know, become non-treatable anymore because, or even die, what am I going to do between now and then? And I think people are looking at options in that regard. The other thing is, is that I mentioned high-dose IL-2, but there's a lot of uh, other cytokines out there that have been uh, manipulated that may give you the same kick to the immune system without all the side effects. And that's under exploration today, but any immunotherapy, that's being done in any combination will be looked at in combination as well with various cellular therapies. And that's why we always say there's more trials in our patients. Are there any other types of immune cells that you see as being particularly promising to, to be developed in the future? Well, the two big ones really are transgenic T-cell receptor therapies, as well as uh, what's called CAR-T therapy. So let me start with the first one. I told you earlier that the TIL therapy, we make tens of thousands of times the number of cells a patient would have made themselves, hoping that we'll find the right TIL, if you will, and that one expanded just like all the other ones that didn't matter as much. Um, and that key one is the one that will end up killing the tumor. But what if I can make the T cell receptor, the receptor on those cells, even more powerful, engineer them to be specific against something that maybe your body couldn't make on its own or couldn't make as powerful. And companies are investing heavily in that. In addition, there's something called CAR T cell therapy. So whereas a TIL or a engineered TCR, T cell receptor, recognizes processed proteins that are made specifically for that patient as an antigen on the outside of the cell, basically like a flag saying, you know, don't kill me or kill me. That's what the flag is for. Imagine though, I could create something that doesn't care about that. It just looks for a protein that's sticking out the end of a bad cancer cell. Now the tumor can't sort of hide behind what we call selfness, meaning all of our cancer cells come from our normal cells. So the difference between a cancer cell and a normal cell sometimes isn't enough for our body's immunology to tell the difference. But if that cancer cell has a lot of a particular protein, and I could create something on an immune cell that recognizes the full protein, and then that triggers a signal in that cell to then rev up and kill, kill the cancer cell, that's sort of what a CAR-T is. The bottom line is it causes a very powerful signal and turns those cells on to kill whatever it recognizes. Um, and those are also very powerful. That, again, was sort of born out of liquid tumors. It is the standard of care for multiple liquid tumors, especially CD19 lymphomas uh, and leukemias. And um, depending on, you know, which type, uh, different line could be first line, second line, et cetera. Uh, and again, it's the, uh, the question, though, is will we ever find a protein that is so differentiating that we can kill the tumor in the solid tumor space like we do in the liquid tumor. In the liquid tumor, we don't care if it kills the normal and the and the cancer cells, we can live with that. But in the solid world, we can't do that because, you know, for example, when to lose all your skin or, or your heart or something like that. So that's what they're working on. But I think those are emerging and you will see those in the next five years in solid tumors like, like melanoma and high-risk skin cancer. What would you consider the biggest gaps to success 
Is it the uh, the availability of, of you, you mentioned more trials than patients. Is there ability to study it? Is it um, complications with the treatment, delivery of treatment? What, what do you think are the biggest gaps to moving forward at this point? Sometimes with industry, when you have a, a hammer, everything's a nail. So what I mean by that is if you have a teletherapy and it's working, you're going to put all your effort into that one pathway. And it, it, it's great. It's bringing therapies that weren't available to patients where they live, but it's not expansive enough, meaning there needs to be more research to try to figure out why they work sometimes and why they work sometimes really well, not really as well. And I think in there, we'll unlock how we make the, for example, teletherapy more powerful and more ubiquitously uh, anti-tumor or, or curable. And I think that's really the big issue is how do we how do we tailor these therapies per patient? There are companies focusing in on it, but the companies that are first in line, if you will, are sort of using the more general agnostic approach, just you know, enhance all the tills like they've been doing for decades. The next uh, generation, or maybe the generation even after that of till and cellular therapies will be more patient-specific, more tumor-specific, and I think we'll, uh, we'll be seeing uh, much greater effects, and we may even shift again in how we treat our patients. We may even move away from standard immunotherapy as much as we went to it so recently. Very good. Well, Brian, you've had some great insight for us today and appreciate uh, all your efforts in this space. It looks like it's uh, truly going to be a type of therapy that will help our patients. Yeah, I just one you know, last thing I should mention, though, uh, Iovance, which is sort of first in line, their major trials are done. They're actually not waiting to get teletherapy through trial mechanisms. They're waiting for their FDA approval to actually make it insurable, billable uh, process. So in theory, you could have it done anywhere. The next companies are trying to figure out what we can do that's different than them. But very soon, likely in probably second quarter 2022, in theory, any hospital with the right setup can give this to their patients without having a clinical trial. It's really exciting. It's And it's been 40 years in the making. Very good. Well, thank you very much. All right. Thank you. I always appreciate to be on this. To make a direct online referral to our Tossic Cancer Institute, Complete our online cancer patient referral form by visiting clevelandclinic.org slash cancerpatientreferrals. You will receive confirmation once the appointment is scheduled. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash canceradvancespodcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our ConsultQD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.